0: Um, we'd love to welcome some people as well. Hey, um, why don't you just give a little wave to those around you and say welcome to church really quickly. But we also, uh, we want to welcome some people for the first time as well, uh, especially give you, uh, we're not just going to give you a wave, we're going to give you a rediscover welcome, which is? in my opinion, the best welcome in town, right? Um, I'm setting the bar high, okay? Um, So if this is your first time, we've got a little bag, and it's got some really nice little goodies in there, including chocolate, and uh, we want to give you a really civil welcome. Can you wave to me if that is you, if this is your first time to church this morning? Come on, let's welcome properly. Let's give a really civil welcome. Keep your hand up, you get a little bag. Keep your hand raised until the bag is placed in you on the balcony as well. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got two over here. Come on. Oh, we've got loads over here as well. The hands are going up. They keep on coming. <clears throat> Love it. Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. And also, welcome to all those watching online this morning. Uh, we're so glad you are here as well. Don't we love our online family uh, who connect in each week? Uh, you're just as welcome and part of this family uh, as, any, as anyone else in this room. Hey, I've got a quick question for you as we uh, start what is a new series uh, today. It's, a, it's a, bi- a double series. And the question uh, is simply this. Um, have you ever... Um, seen something that you'd love to be at, but unfortunately you've not been able to go to. Anyone had that moment? Okay, perhaps it's like you've gone on social media, you've seen someone on a glorious beach and you're in Exeter and it's raining and cold, yeah? Um, Isan's normally that person with me when she's back home in Barbados, I'm just like freezing. Um, Perhaps it was a a family gathering or a party of some sort and you had work to do, you couldn't get to the event. And well, they call this... uh, this word that's uh, come around in the last few years, FOMO. Oh my God. FOMO. Anyone heard of FOMO before? Yes. Okay, we're aware. Well, if you're not aware, FOMO means the fear of missing out. Yeah. Um, statistics would say that over 60% of people who have social media experience FOMO on a daily basis. That's scary, isn't it? Because we have this insight to people's lives and experiences that often we fear that we are missing out based on something else. It might be a church event. It might be a party. It might be a gathering of some sort, and we experience FOMO. Well, there was one day when I was uh, younger. I'm not going to say my age, but I was younger. Let's just say that. I know I am a baby, but um, (laughs) there was one day that I remember really well where I experienced FOMO. Um, It was the 14th of May, 2011, I woke up on a glorious Saturday morning, the blue skies, the sun was shining, and Stoke City Football Club had reached the FA Cup final. Why has that got booze? I mean, come on. Dez said he was from Newcastle, he got cheers earlier. I know, yeah. It's the one time we got to the FA Cup final. (laughs) Literally. And guess what? We didn't win either. So. um, I can remember leading up to this event, we won the semi-finals, and uh, I desperately wanted tickets. So I did everything I could to try find tickets, and unfortunately, to no avail, I didn't get any tickets. So I ended up sitting in this grotty little pub uh, with a load of half-cut men cheering and shouting at a TV screen, um, and Stoke lost. And I can remember the sinking feeling inside of me of this FOMO. I'd have loved to have been in this live atmosphere filled with Stoke fans in the red and white face painted, all of that kind of stuff, but here I was in a pub watching this football team suffer a 1-0 defeat, but still, I long to be there. FOMO is a very real thing. It's something we all experience at some points in our lives, and FOMO apparently is exaggerated depending on invitation. We all want to be invited to things, don't we? We all long to be invited and belong to something, I don't know if you've ever had that moment when you was a kid and you was in school and the kids went round with their birthday party invitations and perhaps you didn't get one but everyone else did. There's this fear of missing out depending on invitations. Well, this morning we explore a series entitled, How Great Is Our God? He's great, isn't he? He's good and he's compassionate and he's kind, but he's great. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we actually find ourselves in a time of church history where not only can we see the majesty and supremacy and glory and greatness of God, but alongside seeing that, we have an invitation from God to step into something new. Not only am I personally inviting you this morning into the exploration of Scripture, Not only am I personally inviting you this morning to listen to what the Spirit is saying to your life and to see if Jesus wants to reveal anything to you, not only am I doing those things, I want to bring before you an invitation in this time frame where we have been allotted our time, an invitation from God to step in to something new. You see, we have a great God, but he also brings great invitations And that's the title of my message this morning. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 9 as we explore a man who also received a great invitation that completely revolutionized his life. His name was Saul. From verse 1 to 19, it says these words. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples and he went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, whether men or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul was angry at anyone that followed Jesus at this moment. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, "'Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me?' "'Who are you, Lord?' Saul asked. "'I am Jesus.' Whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. That's a cool thought, isn't it? How amazing it would be for our friends to be stood there speechless because of the marvelous wonders of God. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, for they heard a sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Everyone say Ananias. Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. That's a good reply when when the call of the Lord comes. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the holy people in Jerusalem. And he came here with authority from the chief priests to arrest anyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Here's an invitation to Saul that comes from God that transformed his life that I may bring towards us the same invitation and a few things we can learn from it this morning. Great God, great invitations and you're invited. Why don't you elbow two people and say you're invited, you're invited, you're invited. Don't elbow them too hard. Come on. Let me tell you a little bit about Saul. Sometimes we get confused about Saul. Saul obviously is also known as the Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, an incredible church planter, an apostle, a missionary. Uh, We know much about his life according to the letters he wrote to the church. But what we sometimes um, maybe don't understand is that Saul in this passage in Acts chapter 9 wasn't just this ugly, angry man who hated Christians. He was actually very much a religious man. He was a man who knew the Old Testament really well probably more than all of us combined, if I'm completely honest. He knew the laws of Moses. He knew the Old Testament. He studied it day and night. And with him were his friends who were at the time Pharisees. He was a man who contended for the faith, a man who longed to be close to Yahweh through the laws of the Old Testament. Yet, as much as that who was, that's who Saul was, Saul was also a man who didn't like a person called Jesus Jesus was a man who appeared onto the scene and he started to walk the neighborhoods of the towns telling people repent for the kingdom of God is at hand let me tell you that word repent is going to come back into fashion soon because repent is seen as a dirty word to many of us but actually it's a beautiful invitation towards seeing the beauty of Jesus Christ in our lives repentance should never be seen as a dirty word it's not about our sin it's about his glory repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus approached the towns. He healed people. He raised people from the dead. He was doing signs and wonders. And the Pharisees, Saul being one of them, didn't like Jesus because they thought what he was teaching was blasphemy. This wasn't what our Old Testament tells us about the coming Messiah. He looks nothing like the Messiah or the Savior that we have read about in the Old Testament. So Saul didn't like Jesus. The Pharisees put Jesus on the cross and he died the death that that he died. Then Acts chapter two, the birth of the early church. Church, The moment of the Holy Spirit coming upon people and the church started to spread like wildfire across these lands. Saul and his Pharisees were frustrated and angry at the fact that people were claiming that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. They were frustrated at this blasphemy in the church that was starting to rise up and they wanted to do anything possible to put an end to this notion. So Saul went around wherever the church of the way, the way of Jesus, was being populated. He would arrest people even to the point of killing them if they did not denounce their faith. A few chapters earlier in the book of Acts, we see apostle, uh, the apostle Stephen being stoned to death. And most historians would believe that Saul was the person that led that stone in. He was after anyone that followed Jesus Christ. He goes to the synagogues, he speaks to his friends, the chief priests and the Pharisees, and he says, give me permission to hunt down these people and bring them back to prison. They give him the permission, and he goes to the place that's the hot spot. It's a place called Damascus. In this place called Damascus, there's people like Ananias and many more who are going around and going, hey, I need to tell you about this man. His name's Jesus Christ, and he's resurrected from the dead. He's transformed my life, and he's given us this thing called the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we start to be followers of Jesus. He's going around and he's telling these people, Saul knows this is a hot spot for this resurrection power being birthed in people, so he's going straight to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, this great bright, bright light shines in front of him. He falls off his horse and all of his friends who are with him go into Damascus to arrest these people. They have no idea what's going on, but with great shock and great awe, they are blinded by this light where they can't see much at all. And then out of this blind, blinding light, a voice comes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. And you are persecuting me. Saul, the person who at this point had so much frustration in his body. So much anger towards anyone that followed this person called Jesus. Jesus saw the one who was out to get anyone that called themselves part of the way. Angry, ugly, and frustrated, Jesus chooses him. Here's what I want to allude you to. God isn't in the business of just choosing good people. He's in the business of choosing all people. Ugly people, frustrated people, angry people. Broken people, God's after every single one of them. That's the God we serve. How great is our God that he chooses sinners like you and I to make his incredible masterpiece that is the church. Not only that, another thing we can learn before I bring to you some invitations that I believe God may want to lay before us this morning. As I was wrestling with this scripture, something else came to my mind. God stopped Saul in his tracks, and I believe those tracks were part of the enemy's plan—plans to bring destruction to the Lord's people, plans to bring arrest to the Lord's people, plans to stop the Lord's people and quench that which the Spirit was doing. You know, in my life, I find it really easy to give thanks for the good things in my life. Do you? I find it easy to give thanks for the provision of God. Man, God just paid away. He opened the door. I praise God this morning. I'm so thankful that he's made a way. I find it so easy to thank God for the blessings of God in my life. Man, the friendships and the people and the fellowship and the church that God brings around me. I find it so easy to celebrate the things that he brings into my life. But as I was reading this scripture, I was reminded of one thing. I want to be the same kind of person to celebrate the things God doesn't bring into my life. Because God stopped a storm from coming upon the church God stopped demonic forces coming upon the church. God stopped the waves of anger coming upon the church. I want to be the same person that celebrates when the doors open to the same person that celebrates when the doors close. We have a God who protects his people. He stands in the way. He stands in the gap. And he says, no more will you have your way against my chosen people, the church. We have a God who stops things coming our way. How many times, how many times, how many things do you think God has stopped coming your way and you have no idea about it? That is the God that we serve. How great is our God? Come on. Let me tell you a few things that I think we can learn from this. And I'm only going to be 10 to 15 minutes. Then we're going to pray because I feel like there's some things that the Lord wants to uh, just do in our hearts and our lives this morning. But I love the story of Saul. It was one of the first sermons I ever preached in my life. Because it resonated so much with my experience. Not because I was a religious militant terrorist, don't worry, that's not part of my story here. Um, But what I did experience is that Saul knew the scriptures and knew the church, yet he had a revolutionary moment with King Jesus and that was my story. I knew the church before I knew Jesus and I got confused about the two because the reality is the church can't save me but Jesus certainly can. And Saul's here in a moment where he starts to understand and experience that I may know all the laws and all the scriptures. I might be able to recite the first five books of the Bible. But the reality is until our hearts is transformed, it doesn't matter what behavior starts to do. Because Jesus is in the process of heart transformation before he is behavior modification. Jesus is in the process of grabbing our hearts and going from a place of stone to a place of flesh so that we may be able to feel the things of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. And from that place, the byproduct is that we start to become more like him. It's not the reversal of that. And here's Saul, knowing the scriptures, knowing the Lord, knowing the words, yet he has a moment with Jesus where Jesus breaks through and he realizes that the truth starts to change people when we accept it and realize it. You see, Paul started to see things differently when he encountered the person of Jesus Christ. How many people know that what we see is important? What we see is super important to our lives. How we see things, what we see, what we choose to look at in this time and in this moment, even right now, I believe is more important than ever before. The church is in a fascinating moment of history. If you look back at church history, you will see the birth of the church. You will see the rise of Christendom and the end of Christendom over the last few hundred years. And we find ourselves in a moment where we have gone from being the favoured people to now being the marginalised people of society and culture. I don't know if you've ever heard moments of, just keep your Jesus to yourself, will you? Keep your holy book in the four walls of your church. That's got no room in our place for politics or law or government. You, You just keep your Jesus to yourself. Keep your book to yourself. Keep your religion to yourself. And here we find ourselves in a place where faster and faster and faster we're becoming marginalized by society and culture. Now, that can fill us with great fear. It could fill us with a place of, I don't know if I want to be part of this right now because we're being pushed to the fringes. But let me tell you, when you look back through the church history and you look at the early church in the book of Acts, when the church is most marginalized, God does his most extraordinary work. This isn't a time for us to be afraid of being a marginalized. This is a time for us to embrace it and go, bring it on because in my weakness, God will show his strength. This is a time for us to hold on to the convictions of scripture, to be strong in what we believe, but do it with great gentleness and humility to a world that is already angry and frustrated. This is a time for us to say, there is no better time to be a Christian than right now. Because we have a great God and he brings towards us great invitations let me tell you about some of the invitations that I think we can see in this passage of scripture and it starts with our sight the bible has a lot to say about our vision and our sight I could go on for ages blind Bartimaeus son of David have mercy on me he stops in the middle of the crowd bring him forward heals his sight immediately we see Jesus making mud out of his saliva and the dirt healing people's eyes and suddenly they can see We see two disciples walking with Jesus after he was resurrected from the grave. And they don't know, have a clue about who it is until they start breaking bread. And then it says in Luke chapter 14 that their eyes were opened and they started to realize who Jesus was. I believe this is a moment in our lives where the Lord has invited us once again to an invitation to fresh eyesight. To be able to see things in the spiritual that might not be looking normal in the physical Friends, let me tell you, there's an upgrade coming to our eyesight and I believe the Lord's laying it before us. A moment where we can start to see things differently because of what the Lord is doing. Remember in Corinthians, it says we live by faith and not by sight. It's so easy to start living by what we see in the physical. And I often tend to lean on that. But one of the things I'm asking for the Lord in my life right now is, Lord, give me spiritual eyesight to be able to see the things that you are doing that are eternal and not just, not just temporary. Let me see the things that you're doing in this time. Let me be able to visualize where Jesus is, where the wind is blowing, what the Spirit is doing, and that's where I want to be. The only way we see it is if we upgrade our eyesight. There's going to be a slide that comes onto the screen in a moment that's going to see God's invitation that we will see with new eyes. In Acts chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. And for three days, he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. You see, Saul was experiencing here physically what he's experienced his whole life spiritually. He knew all the word and all the scripture and all the laws, but inside he was blinded. Blinded by anger, blinded by frustration, blinded by hurt, blinded by emotion. Yet one encounter and one touch from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords ripped off the scales of his eyes and he started to see differently. Who wants to see differently in this day and age? There is a call in our lives right now, an invitation from the Lord to say, upgrade your eyesight and start to see things the way the Lord sees things. This is not a time for us to run. It's not a time for us to be scared. This is a time for us to say, rejoice in the Lord. and my soul will say again, rejoice. For this is a brilliant time to be a follower of King Jesus. God was inviting Saul into seeing a new way. Question for you, what are your eyes seeing right now? This isn't just for the prophetic. This is for all people that follow Jesus. What are your eyes seeing right now? Have you asked the Lord, Lord, I wanna know what you're doing right now with the church. I wanna know what you're doing in the nations. I wanna know what you're doing across this land. And I want my eyes to be able to see spiritually and not just physically. The physical will show us the death rates. The physical will show us the arguments, the frustrations, the tensions, the spiritual will see opportunities, opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. When I was, 16 year old, I was 16 years old, I started to experience this myself. I fell in love with this person called Jesus Christ. And ever since then, he's been dragging me along and trying to get me to the places where I've wanted to be. And by his grace, I'm slowly but surely believing that I'm becoming more like him. We are not perfect people in this church. No one is perfect, but we're tied to the perfect savior. And every single day, he longs to develop us and make us more like the perfect savior that is Jesus Christ. It's a process towards who he is and what he's doing. And as we continue to follow him and sometimes trip up and stumble, his grace every single time picks us up and it invites us to continue following. This is the great God with a great invitation. In this moment, when I was 16 years old, I knew church my whole life. I'd worshipped. I'd been in church since I was in my mom's womb, literally. I knew it like the back of my hand. Yet at 16 years old, there was one man. It's a man that you'll have never heard of before. A man who was in his 80s at the time. He wasn't a historic man. He wasn't a special man. He wasn't a powerful preacher or anything like that. But what he was was a faithful man, a faithful follower of Jesus Christ in his 80s. And as I rocked up to this church one Sunday morning, not having a clue who Jesus was, but knowing who the church was, this faithful man thankfully had eyes to see that were spiritual and not just physical. Because if he looked at me in that moment in the physical eyes, you would have seen a young man that was angry and frustrated with life, who was tired with the things of religion, who didn't think anything to do with this Christianity stuff had anything worthwhile to mean to my life while I was doing my GCSEs. If that's what he was looking at physically, that's what he would have seen. A broken young man who had no hope and no future. But when he looks at you with the eyes of the spiritual, he starts to see something else. Because he doesn't see a broken young man with no future. He sees a son of the most high who has a future. And suddenly this man called Albert walks up to me, 80s years old, and with eyes to see, new eyes, upgraded eyes, faith eyes, he walks straight over to me and he says, son, I need to pray for you. Will you let me pray for me? I'd had hundreds of people pray for me at this point go for it, Albert, pray for me, and he prays for me, and as he prays for me, he prophesies over my life at the age of 16 years old, and every single thing that he prophesied has come to pass already in my life. You see, this is the difference between seeing things with the physical and seeing things to the spiritual, because if Albert wasn't faithful to the gospel and faithful to the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't be here today. We need more Alberts in our lives. We need more faithful followers of Jesus who aren't in it for the limelight. They're not in it for the social media. They're not in it for the attention or the popularity. They're in it because they're absolutely in love with Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You see, he wasn't relevant. He didn't match up to me. He wasn't someone I wanted to spend time with. He didn't have the latest sneakers or trainers. He didn't have the cool jeans. He didn't have the cool hair. But here's the reality. Relevance doesn't save people. Faithfulness to the gospel does. We need more people Who are willing to be the Alberts of this generation? Who are willing to see with a new eyesight in the things that are taking place right now? So there is a difference between seeing in faith and seeing in the flesh. God wants to move us as a church and invites us this morning to a new way of seeing. Second thing, God invites us right now, and this is something that I felt strongly in the first, to a new sound. To a new sound. And it's a new sound that I believe has missional implications towards it. Acts 9, verse 7 the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, for they heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. I believe there is a sound that is going to arise that's different to the previous sounds of generations. And I believe it's a sound that we will adopt and inherit from the things of the Spirit that we'll start to see chains broken in people's lives because of his kingdom. I believe there is a sound that is being raised in the people in the people of God, the broken, disrupted, disorganized people of God, but a sound that comes out of their mouths that starts to shift atmospheres and move demonic forces across nations and regions and cities. I believe there is a sound that is rising, that is interlocked and interlinked with mission and evangelism. And here's what I will gently, and I mean this gently, please, please hear me, bring before you, have you lost your sound? When was the last time you used your sound to tell someone about Jesus Christ? When was the last time you used your voice to preach the gospel to those that are lost and heading towards eternal separation from the God of gods and the King of kings? When was the last time you used your mouthpiece that God has given you to be bold and courageous, to speak to friends and family members and people you bump into and say, hey, I want to tell you about the person that has transformed my life. His name is Jesus. I believe right now the enemy is desperately trying to silence his church with fear. And I believe the Spirit is bringing a sound that will break the bondages of fear and move us into the next parameters of the church. In the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that we're reading from right now, The Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the whole book. Listen to this. 36 times the Holy Spirit appears. He is speaking. Speaking, using the sound that God had given it. Jesus' most repeated phrase in the New Testament is this. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. See, they may not see him, but believe me, they're going to hear him. Saul's interaction with God caused the people around him to take note of the sound of Jesus. What is your sound currently saying about the person of Jesus? Could it be that we've tried everything in the past decades to communicate Christ, but we have lost our voice of authenticity in the process? I believe there's a sound returning. Entertainment might not cut it. The music might not cut it. The stage might not cut it. The people might not cut it, but the sound will pierce through any demonic force that is trying to silence our voices 2 Corinthians 5.20, it's on the screen. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. That Greek word appeal there literally means to beg, to implore, to desperately communicate to people. You know, your life is what Christ uses as a tool to appeal to the lost and broken world. Come home. How are you using your sound to align with his appeal? There's a new sound that is coming to the church. God is calling his children home. And if you're in this place this morning, you don't know Jesus personally, let me tell you, Jesus knows you. And he longs to be close to you. And he longs to be in a relationship with you. And he longs to call you home. You're not too far gone or too broken for the perfect grace of Jesus Christ. He pursues you, he chases you, and he longs to be in relationship with you. My message to you simply, as someone in this room that may not know a relationship with God, God may not know a relationship with Christ. Let me tell you, here's what it is. He desperately wants you home. Desperately wants you home. And we we come together as an appeal on Christ for him to use our words and our lives and our actions to communicate that to a lost and broken world. God is restoring the sound that comes from the wells within. It's a sound that praises even when it's tough. It's a sound that chooses to rejoice even when there's a trial. It's a sound that chooses to speak to the storms and not be frightened by them, but to say, peace be still in the name of Jesus. a sound that gives birth to mission and empowers the church. It's a sound of chains falling, of prodigals returning, of the spirit moving and the saints going. I can hear a sound coming, and I believe it starts with us. God places the invitation before us of a new sound to match our new vision. Keys, Taffy, wherever you are, my good friend, if you'd like to join, join me, I'm going to come to land in a moment. The third and final thing, God's invitation that we see to Saul is an invitation that is my favorite invitation to speak about, and it's an invitation to a new heart. It's an invitation to a new heart. Jesus comes into our hearts and our lives. And he longs to move us from a place of religious activity and Christian activity towards a new heart that is postured towards a broken humanity. I believe Jesus showed through Saul's life what it means to have a transformation of heart. And I believe this morning the same invitation is true. No matter how long you have been coming to church, no matter how many prayers you have prayed or songs you have sung, the invitation that comes before us is an invitation that the Lord loves to bring. I invite you this morning to have a new heart. A new heart of intimacy. A new heart of love. And a new heart that feels that which the Spirit is feeling. A heart that breaks for the things that breaks Jesus' heart. A heart that moves in alignment with that which the Spirit is doing. The invitation is to receive a new heart. You know, I've never been more sure in my life that right now is a time where the church needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Never in my life. I've been to the meetings, I've had the anointing of oil on my head, I've experienced the presence of God. But never before in my life, never before in my life have I been so adamantly sure that what the people of God need right now is a renewing of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you know when the Holy Spirit arrives in our hearts and our lives, what he does is he starts to transform what's in inside first. It's this process called sanctification where the Spirit starts to draw you closer to the heart of the Father so that you can start to operate in a different way. And as the Lord lays before us an invitation to new eyes, and he lays before us an invitation to a new way of doing things in mission and a new sound, I believe the Lord also lays before us an invitation to a new heart. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road when you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end with this thought on Ananias. Ananias is the hidden hero of this story. He's an incredible man. A man that captured my thoughts and attentions many, many years ago when I first preached this message. Because Ananias is never mentioned again In the scripture. He has his one moment of fame in these short verses. Yeah, but I believe Ananias is the hidden hero of the book of Acts. Because Ananias didn't use this moment to start building a ministry or a platform. He didn't use this moment of releasing Saul into the person that God was calling to be was the Apostle Paul. He didn't use it for his own glory. He didn't use it to be seen. He didn't use it to be accepted. He just used it to be faithful to God. When I look at the young people right now, I believe the Lord is raising up a generation of Ananiases. I've never seen it before. I've always wanted the Billy Grahams and the Reinhard Bonkis to rise out of the youth generation. but what I sense right now is I sense a generation on the rise that's going to be the hidden heroes. but they don't want the fame and the glory. They don't want the spotlight and the likes and the affirmation. But what they desperately want is the faithfulness of King Jesus to be proclaimed through their lives in the everyday moments. Ananias was led to the house where Saul was laying. Not by Google Maps, not by a sat-nav, not by an iPhone, but by following the Holy Spirit. Friends, there's an invitation to a new heart. And it comes by surrendering and saying, Holy Spirit, come fill me afresh. (laughs) That's what I want. I want the fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I want nothing more before it. Would you stand with me, church?